on episode 583 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Jill Miller and discuss her book, Body by Breath, The Science and Practice of Physical and Emotional Resilience. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 583. Have you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness? The 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA Level 2 online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA Level 1 run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Are you tired of feeling stuck in your weight loss journey? Do you find it difficult to know if you're training effectively? Are you frustrated with the slow pace of progress? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time to take action with 40 Plus Fitness Online Personal Training. You'll have personalized nutrition and training plans designed to address your unique needs and help you achieve your fitness and weight loss goals. 40 Plus Fitness Online Personal Training offers the ultimate convenience allowing you to train when and where you want to, and basically have a coach in your pocket for guidance, support, and accountability. No more wasting time on ineffective workouts or diets that don't work. Take the first step toward a healthier, happier you by scheduling a free discovery call with me at 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. On this call, we'll discuss your unique needs and how you can get the results you want and deserve. And best of all, you'll leave this discovery call with a plan of action. So what are you waiting for? Book your free discovery call with me today by going to 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Results start with this click, 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Hello, Russ. Hey, Alan. How are you today? Doing all right. Doing all right. (laughs) Just very, very busy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, busy's good. Busy's good. Busy's good. You know, we're still sort of in busy season for Lula's. Mm-hmm. Tammy took the weekend off and went to a jazz fest. And we got some very um, demanding guests over the course mm-hmm. of the weekend. Lots of moving parts. And then I'm actually doing some live training. I was wanting to do it. That's why I was going to launch the retreat, which is now uh-huh. happening. And I was like, okay, I, I still want to train people in person some, you know. So mm-hmm. I went ahead and solicited out to get some new clients. So I'm bringing cool. in new clients to train in person nice. uh, in my studio. And I also now relaunched my program because I realized my normal program, my Be Fit for Task program was great for people that wanted to work on fitness, but it wasn't mm-hmm. as great for people that wanted to lose weight. The program was 12 weeks and then I condensed it to six weeks. So it's working very, very well for people that want to get more fit. So my Be Fit for Task program is works really good for that, but it's not so good for the folks that want to lose weight. So I decided to go ahead and launch a new 12-week program that focuses mm-hmm. on weight loss. Nice. And so it has to be 12 weeks because it's just the way the, the math works on our human body. Of mm-hmm. You know, you can change some things, but when you look at really a month and a half, 
you're just really getting into the meat of it and you haven't Mm -hmm. really had any struggles or any issues happen yet. So it's hard to say, how would we manage when this happens? You Mm -hmm. can write all of the SOPs for yourself that you want to have, but when it really, stuff really happens, then you find out. So 12 Mm -hmm. weeks tends to work a lot better for that. So I just relaunched that program. I'm calling it the SHED uh, program. And I just got that going. And so I'm starting to onboard clients for all that. We're cam capping it at 12, you know, like I do with Mm -hmm. most of my things. I'm not going to have more than that many clients because that's how many I can handle. But it's going pretty good. We're having the kickoff calls and people are getting excited. And good. we're starting some plans and getting going. That's exciting. I love to hear that. I love to hear people making changes. That's great. They are. All right. So how are things up there? Good. I think it might be spring. (laughs) At least this last batch of snow has melted. So that's wonderful. (laughs) But yeah, weather's turning. We used to call it, there was a fake spring. You just think it's there. You know, you start pulling out your bathing suits and all your stuff and getting ready. And then there's another little cold snap. And then same thing for the end of the year, you start going into fall and you're like, oh, it's cooling off. It's great. And then you have an Indian summer where it's just another two weeks of really hot weather in September. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the weather just can't get it together. They don't know what season to be in quite yet. But as we get to the end of March, beginning of April, then I can kind of feel like I can believe spring is actually coming. (laughs) Then I kind of feel a little more confident and the weather changes. Yes. (laughs) In March, you can't be fooled. Don't be fooled. (laughs) Don't be fooled. It can snow as late as April. Yeah, but it's nice. Well, good. All right. Well, are you ready to have a conversation with Jill? Sure. Great. Our guest today is the co-founder of Tune Up Fitness Worldwide and the creator of the self-care fitness formats Yoga Tune Up and The Role Model Method. With more than 30 years of study in anatomy and movement, she is a pioneer in forging relevant links between the worlds of fitness, yoga, massage, athletics, and pain management. She is known as the teacher's teacher as she has trained thousands of movement educators, clinicians, and manual therapists to incorporate her paradigm-shifting self-care fitness programming into athletic and medical facility programs internationally. She has the rare ability to translate complex physiological and biomechanical information into accessible, relevant moves that help her students transform pain, dysfunction, and injury into robust fitness. She is the former anatomy columnist for Yoga Journal magazine and has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Shape, Men's Journal, Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, Yoga Journal, and Self, and on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and Oprah Winfrey Network. With no further ado, here's Jill Miller. Jill, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Well, thank you for having me. I fit into that demographic, so I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Well, good, good. Yeah, there's a lot of us these days. More and more people in the fitness space are in this area. I know when I first started trying to fix myself years ago, that there was nobody here. Everybody was 20, 25, 30. And then, well, then you're just supposed to just cast off and we never saw you again. So it's good that more and more of us are are actually understanding that taking care of ourselves is a lifelong thing. And there's more and more of us that are in our 40s and uh, 50s that are out there trying to get these messages out there. Now, one of the ways you're doing it now, this is not your first book, but your new book is called Body by Breath, The Science and Practice of Physical and Emotional Resilience. If I'd had this book five years ago, it would have been so valuable to me. It still is. But five years ago, I just really felt like I was losing the battle for resilience. And I really felt like, okay, stress was beating me up so bad. 
that even when I could get like my fitness together or maybe my mm-hmm. health together, I was never whole, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and what I really liked about your book was that it sort of took that whole concept of your one being and how you take care of your body. It's all connected and your breath is everything. Uh, <laughs> it's where life and everything happens. And so as you got into this, and I'll just say, I've read a lot of anatomy books, as you might imagine, as a personal trainer and everything else. And I've read a lot of books about the systems of the body. Um, this is a masterclass. If you're interested in learning more about your body, this is the book for you. Oh, I'm going to take you on the road with me, Alan. Can you do my <laughs> intros everywhere? That's really awesome. Thank you so much for connecting with it in that way. And you know, just last night, I was checking... Uh, this is coming out after the book is out, but we're in our final four days of prior to publication right now as we record this. And last night, it was number one in medical anatomy and anatomy on Amazon. I certainly never, ever <laughs> in my wildest dreams. And by the way, my dad's a doctor, so he is like, finally, my daughter's <laughs> yeah. not a doctor, but my, you know, she could have been, would have been. And not to scare people, the anatomy is done in a, I think, a very accessible way. Yeah. Those were illustrations that, my goodness, I think there's probably five to seven drafts on many of them to just keep finding what's essential, what's going to be able to connect off the page and into people's bodies, because that's really the translation that I want. I want people to have a sense of embodiment through the visual tour of the book. So I'm really glad that that landed with you. It did, because as I was getting into it, I would ask myself the question, I'm like, do we need to go this deep into the anatomy? And then once you started talking about the why this works, we needed that. We needed that basis. And part of what I like about it is there's beauty in the complexity. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is so many people want an easy button, you know, just tell me how to breathe. And it's like, well, your body actually already knows how to do most of it. (laughs) You don't have to. We've gotten in our own way of being able to have efficient breathing in so many ways. And just to your point about, well, I just want it to be easy. You know, my mother doesn't have easy breathing. My mother is asthmatic. She's been a lifelong asthmatic, chronic asthma. It wasn't until her mid 60s that she even knew how to locate her diaphragm. And it was because I was on a show. My friend Kelly Starrett, the founder of The Ready State, uh, formerly the Mobility Wad, he had me come on to a broadcast that he did through a platform called Creative Live. He had me come in and do a seminar for him on fascia and an hour-long seminar on breath. This was really revolutionary. More than 10 years ago, these were topics that really were, um, I guess, not that hot yet although fascia was definitely trending, I showed the participants how to palpate their diaphragm, which is really simple. In fact, you could do it right now as you're listening. You just take your little paws, your little hands, and you swing them around the bottom of your rib cage where you can get in. You can't get into your rib cage easily all around it, but at the costal margin where you have that kind of teardrop shape on the right and left sides of your abdomen, you can get your fingers underneath there. And if you kind of slump over, your fingers can piano play up against all the muscles you're touching, which is obviously your skin, some of the fatty layer of your abdomen, your rectus abdominis, your obliques, your transversus abdominis. But behind all that is your respiratory diaphragm. And then you take a breath in. If you breathe into your hands, you breathe in towards your gut, you'll actually feel the diaphragm contract and try to push your fingers out. So I taught them that process and (laughs) I get off stage and there is a enthusiastic message from my mother and she's 
ecstatic and weeping and so intense. And she said, oh my God, I just felt my diaphragm for the first time in my life. So this is an asthmatic who has lived with lifelong problems and pain and so many other impacts from her breathing posture and from the strain of breathing. But no doctor had ever told her about the primary muscle of respiration. This is also echoed in the very front of the book where I have an incredible yoga professional, a fitness professional, Lewis Jackson. He wrote the forward. He was a lifelong asthmatic and he walked into one of my seminars uh, in his mid 40s and he had the exact same revelation. Why didn't anybody teach the asthmatic kid about the diaphragm? You know, he had been dependent on inhalers. It had created a ton of shame for him around at parties, around friends. And, you know, he was like hiding it all the time, didn't want to be seen as that sickly asthmatic kid. But nobody had, even in his all his yoga training, nobody had actually described or helped him map out the muscles of respiration and what that meant to his whole body. So anyway, so I really do think that just enough anatomy, and, and there's a little bit more than enough, as you mentioned. But it really helps you to map yourself, connect to your core. The lining of your life are your breathing muscles. And why should we overfocus on our quads and our biceps? My opinion, the diaphragm is the most important muscle of the body. I mean, I'm saying that above the heart, all right? So that's where I'm coming from here. Well, they're definitely first cousins. Um they're close. <laughs> yes, they are. Well, the, the diaphragm <laughs> happens to be a mattress for the heart. The heart yeah. sits directly on top of it. And the diaphragm's like, hum de dum, hum de dum, hum de dum. Look how I'm, I'm massaging you, Mr. Heart, above me. All right. Now, one of the reasons why I got really excited about the breathing and the body and this whole conversation was because I've always thought of breathing as related to stress. That's when I noticed my breathing. That's when mm. I felt like I had to start paying attention to my breathing was in those moments of acute stress and then realizing I'm not breathing the way I'm supposed to when I'm in periods of chronic stress. That was me working the corporate world and realizing I've sat here all day long and I'm actually not breathing most of the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, by not breathing, I mean, actually not taking in deep breaths, getting oxygenated, just literally almost in a coma, sitting there and this shallow, almost like panting little dog breath, if you will. Yeah. And we see, I see it, you know, we've got pets and whenever they're distressed, they immediately go into that low breathe. And I'm like, that was me 25 years of my life. My days were, were that kind of breathing. How does breathing and stress resilience pull that together for us so we can understand not just that it's affected, but how we can use it to affect our stress? Sure. Breathing is one of the greatest switches that you can use in your body to be able to pull yourself literally from state to state. You can breathe in such a way that you're upregulated, you're hyper, you're hyped, you're pumped. You can also breathe in ways that calm you down, that pull you out of high stress states. Because breathing is one of these amazing functions in the autonomic nervous system that isn't just autonomic. It's not just automatic. You can actually regulate it. And that's what makes breathing as a health tool so profound because healing doesn't take place in a sympathetic, upregulated, high-pipe state. Healing actually takes place in the rest, digest, and recovery. And if we're dampening our ability to enter into parasympathetically relaxed rest recover states, then all a static load, our, the sum total of our stresses 
just the pie chart of that is out of proportion. And eventually those lead to stress-related diseases and ailments. The global indices of disease are all pointing towards that all-cause mortality is increasing due to anxiety-related and depression-related issues. And so it's important for us as a species to pay attention to what are the levers that and this levers is one of the things I think Kelly talks about. What are the levers that we can play around with to see if we can foster a habitat in our body that is okay with that other side of the stress spectrum. And that other side of the stress spectrum is our rest, digest, recover, recuperate. So the book, while the book is called Body by Breath, the word body is also in there. Uh, it's not just breath as the only tool. There are many ways that the book outlines how to use your body and also use some tools to augment a parasympathetic or a relaxation response. And breath is one of the, the major tools that is used. Um, but the whole body, the, you know, stress is a body-wide experience. It's not just in your head. And, and you know that because you get these really tight shoulder muscles, your jaw clenches, your sleep starts to be disturbed. We have this body-wide expression um, of stress. So um, typically, one of the easiest and simplest ways to adjust your breath rhythm is to try to put more gas and more duration into your exhales. So long exhale breaths. And this is just a very, very simple thing. You just think about blowing out more candles on the birthday cake than you already have. So maybe you, you inhale a certain quantity of air. It doesn't matter how much it is, but you just want to make sure that your exhale is longer than your inhale, just to start to grow your capacity, that comfort of getting out of a stress breath, which is more that panting breath or a very, very shallow breath. Yeah, you know, I... Um... <laughs> You used a term in the book, and and it kind of clicked in my head as 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 I figured something like this would. But what it was was you said turning your off switch on, and, uh, and yeah. I thought that I was did say that. okay. Yes. And, and that's you know, I would go through my whole day on, you mm -hmm. know, the on switch is on, and and you would think okay, then then now I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm driving home from work and I'm also still in a stressful situation, but I'm trying to then turn off, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, I never thought of it as other than like, if my boss called me up to his office, I would start doing box breathing in the elevator just so I wouldn't do a fight or flight in front of him. Um, Cause I couldn't, I had to go face him, but it was just interesting that you put this concept in there because it was just something, it was, just, it was a tool when I was working in corporate, I just didn't have. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about turning off your, turning your off switch on? Yeah. In the book, I call it turn on your off switch. Thank you so much for asking me about that little, that little lingo statement, because it, it really does summarize the whole book. The book is about recovery and the off switch in this case is the parasympathetic nervous system. So when we're in a highly stressed state, our sympathetic our sympathetics are basically running rampant and we're responding to that mostly unconsciously. How to take control of that excessive on is to actually try to stimulate a specific nerve called the vagus nerve which is really the governor of the parasympathetic nervous system. So the ways that we go into the mellow are one, by turning the on off, but turning the off on. And I know that's very confusing, but it's it's 
it's a little bit of neuroanatomy. So we want to do things that stimulate our vagus nerve, because once the vagus nerve starts to come online, and we can do this in many different ways, and I outline this throughout the book, what happens is the arousal of your the parasympathetic nervous system, it downregulates the sympathetic nervous system. So there is a, a switcheroo happening in terms of what effects start to happen from the brain to the body and also from the body to the brain. So um, in the book, I outline a five phase or five five specific things to think about if you're trying to turn on your off switch. And I call this the five P's. And I think it's a very easy formula for people to, to get comfortable with. It's the five P's of the parasympathetic nervous system. It's a process. It brings you peace. Lots of P's in there. But here are the five P's. The first P is perspective. Perspective has to deal with a mindset. It's very helpful if you're going to try to flip your stress switch that you bring in your adult brain, you bring in a host that allows your body-based experience to occur. Because once you start to decrease the speed that's happening in the sympathetic nervous system, you're going to start to have a lot of feelings. The adrenaline and the acceleration in our sympathetic nervous system blunts us to a lot of the subtler senses in our body. And this brings me on a quick sidebar into our physiological sensing system is called interoception. And uh, I, I highlight this in a big way within the book. But basically, these subtle senses are the physiology of your body speaking to you. And so it's helpful to have a mindset that welcomes those feelings to occur because sometimes those feelings are a physical feeling and other times those feelings are emotions. So we want to be a welcome host to our experience. So in a mindset, in that perspective chunk, you would want to say things to yourself that are positive, like all of me is welcome here or I embody my body, right? So you're, you're, you're going to welcome your experience. The second P is place. The place is not always ideal, right? You're in the elevator on the way to uh, speak with your boss. You're in line at an airport just hoping you can get off the standby list. So place is not always ideal. It can be uh, cacophonous. It can be loud. It can be bright. It can be hostile. But in an ideal setting, so let me talk about the ideal setting for the parasympathetic nervous system. We're in a place that is warm, that is dark. Those are some of the things that the parasympathetic nervous system really likes. And if you can't be in those places, maybe if you're in a loud, clangy, um, bright place, you can pretend, fantasize. So maybe cast, if it's, a, if it's safe to do so, cast yourself in an imaginary space. It is very helpful. All right, so place. The third P is position. Typically, for position, we want to get grounded. We want to get low to the ground. You can do, do this by reclining on a bed or a sofa or laying, lying back in, in a chair. But to really maximize position, especially for the vagus nerve, we want to actually want to try to get our head lower than our heart, lower than our pelvis. And what this looks like if you're in a reclined position is just elevating your pelvis up a few inches. I like to elevate my pelvis on my tool. It's called a gorgeous ball, but you can put your pelvis on a stack of books. Body by breath is a very thick book. You can always put your pelvis on a body by breath book um, or a yoga block. We love those or a rolled up pillow or everybody's got something they can stick their tush on top of. And what that gentle slope does is it takes advantage of a neural feedback loop called the baroceptor reflex. And what the baroceptor reflex 
is, is there are nerve sensors in the sides of your neck and the carotid artery that are vaguely mediated. And when your body starts to sense due to gravity that too much blood is flowing towards your brain, your brain can't afford that. Your body can't afford that. And so these stretch sensors in these arteries send a very quick feedback loop through the vagus nerve to the brain. And suddenly there's a state shift. Your heart, your stroke rate will slow down. So your heart will slow down and your breath pace will slow down. And all the arteries within your body constrict. And this is to minimize blood flow to the brain so that you maintain your blood barrier, your blood brain barrier. Um, but the, the consequence of that, the result of that is a mellowing. You get chill by doing this gentle slope. The fourth P is what most people think the book is going to be entirely about is pace of breath. And I already mentioned to you the pace of breath. You typically want to have exhales that are longer than inhales, although there are paradoxical breathing patterns that are reversed that can be very effective too. Uh, but for the most part, exhales longer than inhales. And then the fifth P is has been my specialty for a very long time, palpation. And then in this case, palpation, I teach self-massage strategies that downregulate the sympathetics and upregulate the parasympathetic nervous system through um, gentle touch, through gentle uh, motion, and through depth of pressure, comfortable depth of pressure, um, and especially into certain regions of the body where the vagus nerve is available. So we can affect the vagus nerve through uh, manual or through mechanical means through pressure. So as as we work through this and, you know, do it, we could do it as a stress resilience or we can just do it for an overall resilience perspective. Sure. I, I like I like that there's some tools out there. I like when that whenever there's something that makes it to where someone can, you know, beyond just knowing that I, I feel less stressed, I'm sleeping better, those types of things, uh, we can actually measure our performance, if you will, as far as if we're trying to do this. And one yes. of the ways, but interestingly enough, it was it was athletes that that were I've heard this from that they, they want to make sure that they are recovered enough to go into training uh, because they train so hard. Uh, mm -hmm. They use heart rate variability to mm -hmm. measure their basically their recovery. And yes. but it's a tool we could use if if we're really stressed out, we're in a high stress job and we want to make sure we're doing the right things and we're not overstressing ourselves because. I've had some clients that are like wanting to train harder and harder. And I'm like, okay, you're already in a chronically stressful environment, adding this extra stress of a harder workout to your, your workload. You know, that's, that's, that's a load. That's a, a stress load. We call, I think you call it allostatic load. Yes. It just adds up and, and workouts can be good hormetic that can be good for you. Uh, but they can also be a part of the problem. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about heart rate variability and, and what what's that's measuring and how we could use it as a tool to understand our stress management? Sure. Well, I um so I don't wear tech. My husband does, so I get to I get to collect <laughs> look at his data. <laughs> but I I'm like, I don't know, I'm very old-fashioned. I want as few rays near me as possible. Um, and I tend to do my own heart rate analysis through interoception. So I'll do different heart rate tests by sensing my pulse and also checking my uh, my heart rate. So just I just wanted to put that out there because I yeah. know a lot of people are checking their um, um, their reads. Um, okay, so but heart, what heart rate variability is the beat to beat changes within your heart. So your heart when you're actually when you're amplified, your heart has a very regular um, uh, uh, beat threshold. So Let's say uh, when you're running, maybe you're at 120 to 130 beats per minute, right? It's very rhythmical. It's very on. And that's because the 
the excitation within the body subdues or prevents the vagus nerve from firing upon the heart. When you're in a relaxed state, when you're not in an amplified um, stress state, the vagus nerve should be firing upon the heart. And that creates a sympathetic, parasympathetic um, uh, toggle within the heart itself. But when we are in sympathetic states, it dampens the the, the strength of the vagus nerves uh, um, uh, signaling to the heart. And so we get the steady, steady, steady state heart heart rate. When people are so, they're psyched, like, oh my, yeah, it was 130 beats per minute, but you're, you're in, you know, high stress state, which we need for output and for exercise. But after that stress state, you should be able to come down. And the faster you come down, of course, without crashing, but you should be able to come down and that your heart then goes back to its, you know, normal of uh, between 60 and 80 beats per minute. You know, much of this is dependent on so many different factors. But the reason we have these beat to beat changes is because of the effect of the vagus upon the heart. So you, when you have very highly trained athletes that also do a lot of recovery work, their resting heart rate can be lower than 60 and they're extremely healthy. And, um, and that is a signal. It's a sign of good vagal tone, meaning that when their body doesn't need to be amped up, it's not sympathetic. They have their parasympathetic resilience in place, helping them to recover, rest, and regenerate. Yeah. And, and the value of that, when you, when you start thinking about it from a um, historical perspective, is you, you're walking through the jungle or through the woods uh, or through the field, you're, you're just calm, everything's cool, and then something happens, you need to be able to respond quickly. But you, yes. know, you can't, we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to then get back to that rest and recover because if we spend too much time and we're not recovering well enough, we're, there's going to be a time we don't get away um, because we didn't recover well enough to perform well enough when it was time to do that. And unfortunately, most of us are spending so much time in a chronic stress state that like, like you said in the book, I think turning on that off switch is it's kind of an important thing that we've forgotten how to do. Yeah, I, I think that I would like to see people engage in recovery-based practices that really do impact the body uh, and its structure in very therapeutic ways. And so that it builds what I call their endurance for parasympathetic tolerance. I do tend to find that People, many people, not all the people that come into my studio, but many of the people that come um, to work with me have been so conditioned to upregulation that when they enter into parasympathetic states, their body feels unsettled, it feels threatening, it feels scary. And for these people, you know, meditation, like stillness meditation, has been abysmal and really is something that is uncomfortable causes the wiggles, causes the fidgets. And what I try to do is help those high anxiety individuals to find uh, recovery-based practices that aren't triggering another sympathetic response. Um, I think some of the, there's a chapter in the book around the vagus nerve. And I also highlight the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, who has a theory called polyvagal theory, which is, please read the book so you can understand polyvagal theory. It's a little difficult to explain um, in short in short shrift on a podcast, but incidentally, he was the first person to quantify HRV. The many things that Dr. Porges talks about is the evolution of the vagus nerve and how our bodies as humans have appropriated it from reptilian all the way up to primate and you know mammal and primate to help us 
identify these body-based feelings and I guess harness the harness the the impact that the vagus nerve can have on our overall health and well-being. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the key of it to me is is and it's one of the reasons why I think your book is so valuable is it really does kind of explain we're not just this physical thing, we're not just this emotional thing and it's really hard to talk about one without talking about the other if you really understand how it all works. Mm-hmm. Because your emotions affect your physicality and your physicality ex- affects your emotions and all the trauma and all the history and everything that you've had, it, it's all a part of this uh, this jumble of what we become as a person. And if we want to be healthier, it's important for us to just understand how all that works and to find the right ways for us to turn off when we need to be off and turn on when we need to be on. And having these tools, I think, is extremely valuable. Now, in the book, you do share all of these exercises, and that was that was really when the rubber hit the road. So the lessons that you get in the front half of the book are really, really important. Take your time, go through those. It's a reference manual for how your body works and all of this. Then the exercises are excellent and very well photographed and set up so you understand exactly what's being done. And, and, and you are now you know why you're doing it, which for a lot of people looking at exercises like, why does she have her hips way up on that and her feet way up on the wall? And, you know, that looks uncomfortable. Well, you're not staying there forever. Uh, you're just staying there long enough to let a few things happen and settle within your body. But again, as we start looking at these exercises, you had one set. And I was like, okay, this is important. I don't know that I'll be able to get my wife to do these exercises. But um, anyone that's struggling with sleep, mm. I think, has found themselves... And their brain is racing and they're suddenly in this almost a fight or flight mode, two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, how can they turn it off? Because they might not be able to completely get up and do a whole workout at two o'clock in the morning. But you do have one. You call it Let's Sleep. I don't know if you know the full workout, but can you talk about a few things that people can do to help their body just go back into a rest state and go back to sleep easier? Yes. So for that acute wake up, um, I feel for you. I mean, I feel for all the over 40 fitness people, people, especially females that are waking up, um, hormone changes are no joke. And as a woman in my perimenopausal years right now, uh, I was absolutely astonished at how radical, uh, perimenopause, uh, changed sleep for me. Um, so I will say like on a, a global level, one of the ways that I've dealt with the problematic early morning waking for myself is I've adjusted my bedtime. So because no matter what time I would go to bed, I'd wake up right around 4 a.m. And so I decided no more 10 p.m. nighttime. I start going to I go to bed at 8.30 now with my kids. <laughs> so that's really helped me. I do too. My I, I, that's, that's, that's my normal bedtime is 839. If my o'clock. body wants to wake up at four and uh and I and my acute practices aren't helping me get back to sleep, then I just need to listen to this bigger um chrono sort of like chronological change that's happening um and work with it rather than against it. But um that being said, I do have a few things that I do if I have other wakings during um during the night. And breathing is very helpful. Here's what I'll say first. 
there's, there's, gosh, there's so much I want to say about sleep because I think one of the biggest things we miss or our bodies miss is that there is a natural melatonin wave that, that just comes up in your body, right? In the morning we have our, we have our cortisol wave and at night we have melatonin wave. And if you push past that melatonin wave, because you really want to finish the episode, or you really want to finish reading the chapter, or you've got to send five more emails, um, or you haven't finished with your food prep, you're going to have a rocky sleep. So it is very critical to attune yourself to interoceptively. So this brings us back to interoception, physiological listening, to be able to pick up on that wave and know that that wave has something to say to you, which is lights out. And so if we miss the wave, it's going to jank up our sleep. So that's one. Don't miss the wave. If you, if you miss the wave and you are having fitful sleep, there are a couple of different breath practices that have been proven to be in uh, an anxiety reliever and a um, parasympathetic inducer. And this just came out recently in, oh gosh, I can't remember, Cell, I think it was in Cell. And it was a uh, study done by um, Melissa Balaban, David Spiegel, and Dr. Andrew Huberman up at Stanford. And they compared a few different breathing strategies against mindfulness meditation. And I'm, I'm bringing this into the sleep realm. The breathing practice is called cyclic sighing. And in cyclic sighing, what you would do, you would just stay in bed. You don't need to move position. You don't need to do anything fancy. You'll What you do is you take a big inhale, pause the inhale for a moment, and then take a second inhale on top of that till you're completely full and then exhale slowly out through your nose or mouth in body by breath. I call this the chocolate chip breath and or chocolate chip cookie breath. And this was a breath I, I designed in a cute way for my six-year-old who started to get panic attacks within months of the pandemic happening. And uh, it was frightening to watch her go through the inability to breathe and um, was really struggling and she doesn't have asthma. There's no other it was all stress and emotion related due to the changes in the pandemic. And so what I had her do is take a gigantic sniff of warm chocolate chip cookies, try to just fill her body with that chocolate chip cookie scent, pause for a moment, and then take an extra kind of cheat sniff, get more scent in, and then exhale slowly and let it go. And so the cyclic sighing breath, you don't have to imagine chocolate chip cookies because that might be too arousing for you in bed, but know that it's a two- a two-part inhale followed by a long extended exhalation. And this triggers a reflex in the brainstem um, of a, a, a certain area of the brainstem called the parafacial nucleus that was discovered by Dr. Jack Feldman, who is a respiratory neuroscientist. Um, but this also uh, is a stoker of our parasympathetic nervous system. So you wake up, your mind is spinning, you start to fidget, start doing these cyclic sighs. Don't count them, just keep doing them. And you might find yourself drifting off to sleep. So that's one that's very helpful. There's another breath strategy. And oh, and the, here's the other thing. If you're, if you have a partner in bed, uh, there's a little stress there. Cause you're like, you start to realize that, you know, you can hear your breath go through your nose. So maybe, maybe, maybe don't let them sleep with you. So you can do your breath practice <laughs> and not wake them up. So the other breath strategy I like to do is in the book also, it's called psychic alternate nostril breathing. 
this is the one that works for me. It's called Analom Valom. And um, Analom Valom, you imagine uh, the breath alternating from nostril to opposite brain hemisphere, and then moving to the other side of the brain and then out the opposite nostril. So you're basically creating a little loop-to-loop of imagined air pattern or imagined airflow. And I don't know why it works for me, but it does. Ultimately, there are about 23 different breath strategies in the book. You might find one that works for you. So even though I'm saying, oh, well, science said cyclic sighs are the thing that's going to help coax you down, it may not be true for you because you might have a paradoxical reaction to any of these uh, breath strategies. That's one of the things that makes this so interesting. Um, The other thing I would say is prior to sleep, is to get in during the day some recovery-based practices because there is a buildup over time of your ability to click into that parasympathetic mode. So I think it's a good idea to to start to build your tolerance for relaxation earlier in the day. And then you might find that there's a carryover at night. There's other individuals that I work with that find doing the fascia facial work. So in uh, in body by breath, there's uh, some head, neck, and face uh, rollouts to uh, to help massage and stimulate um, different vagal, vaguely mediated uh, muscles of the face, neck, and head. And so, doing really gentle work on the jaw, the temples, even um, deep into the sides of the neck near the carotid, these can be things that again, downregulate sympathetics, upregulate parasympathetics and help you nod off. And if you're a jaw clencher, it's very helpful to do the jaw massage um, close to bedtime to just change the resting tone of those muscles. Yeah. I, you know, I, I bring up sleep a lot because I, I do believe it's, it's critical. It's, it's just one of those big things. And I know that a lot of us over 40, uh, particularly women struggle with sleep. Um, I'm the guy who's falling asleep at the, you know, the, when the, every, each time I've taken yoga and they use the non-sleep, uh, what is it called? Non-sleep needs rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, yoga I'm out. Rest. I'm out. <laughs> so that's interesting too. That That's a whole other chapter. Uh, so one of the, there's four tools. The tools are breath, breathe, roll, move, non-sleep, deep rest, also known as yoga nidra. And there are, there is that category or there is that, um, segment of the population that when they go into non-sleep deep rest, they actually bypass the focus and they just pass out. And so that would be like an excessive vagal dominance. The non-sleep deep rest, like from where where I'm coming from, like if you need to sleep, you should sleep. I mean, that really is an indicator to me of of absolute exhaustion. But ultimately with non-sleep deep rest, we wouldn't be able to train ourselves to maintain attention, to maintain focus on our physiology in this interesting liminal state. Uh, and I detail that in the chapters. Yeah. I just, it was one of those things where if, if they've, if, if it was a calm yoga session, cause I did have one that was, it was like combat yoga. And that one, I didn't, <laughs> that one, I didn't, I, we, I was bruised up. I was beat up by the time that one was over, but uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting, but uh, most of them, because it's, you know, it's just this relaxing, the breathing, this, and I'm laying flat on my back. I'm like out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jill, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Number one, I'd say become aware of your breathing and which zone of respiration you tend to live in. So the zones of respiration I detail in the book, we have three zones, the gut, the rib cage 
and the stuff above the rib cage. And depending on uh, it, becoming aware of where you're breathing is really step one towards adjusting yourself into, I think, a healthier, happier place. Number two would be help your body move and find something that commands your curiosity and focus within the within the movement. And so that could be body parts that you're interested in, or it could be a phenomenon outside of yourself, like a goal of being able to play with your grandchildren for the rest of your life. And then number three for being healthy, happy, and well is use self-massage to regulate your emotions and help yourself physically. And in your book, Body by Breath, uh, details most of that, and particularly the the massage and the and the movements and, and everything else. So, um, Jill, if someone wanted to learn more about you or learn more about your book, Body by Breath, where would you like for me to send them? We have a really helpful website, bodybybreath.com, that is everything about the book. My company is tuneupfitness.com, so people can also head to the website and check out the offerings there. We have filmed all 100 exercises within the book, um, and those will be going up on the website eventually. I know we're in post-production on that. Um, I have lots of programs that also detail fascia and rolling uh, have partner programs with my 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 dear friend Kelly Starrett, uh, also Tom Myers, who is one of the the godfathers of uh, functional uh, functional fascia understanding, and then my friend Katie Bowman. We have a program called Walking Well. So there's lots of offerings and classes on the website, and then there's lots of free stuff on YouTube. So cost is a barrier. I have so many free videos on YouTube that explain in very digestible chunks of the work, and. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the Jill Miller. That's where I'm most active. But there's also teachers all over the planet. We have about 500 tune-up fitness teachers that teach yoga tune-up, role model, and body by breath methods. So you can find them by heading to the website of tuneupfitness.com and putting in your zip code. And you can actually work one-on-one or in groups with uh, with our teachers. Great. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 583, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Jill, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. I'm so happy to connect with you. Thank you so much for welcoming me and for your deep interest in my book. I really appreciate it. Welcome back, Russ. Hey, Alan. You know, every time I think I've heard everything about breathing, you have an interview with somebody that introduces yet another thing I haven't thought about. And it was just really interesting because in this discussion, there was a moment where you were talking about the um, longer having a longer exhale than the inhale. That was one thing that I just never thought too much about. But I was on a run over the weekend running uphill my heart's pounding because it was a challenging uh, run I was on on this trail. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. And I started to take some longer exhales and, and, and sharper inhales. And I don't know, it was a hard run anyway, but I feel like at least it gave me something to focus on. And I did feel better. I felt a lot better once I was done with the hill, but, <laughs> but it was an interesting <laughs> practice that I actually used from your interview. So that was super cool. Yeah. Key takeaway kids. Um, Practice what you're going to do in the race. Don't just do it in the race. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is right. 
All yeah. right. So, so it worked out pretty well with you, the, the it slow did. breathing. It, it, you know, it really does. And especially for runners, you know, we have all these different conditions and, you know, whether you're running calm and in an easy pace or you're charging up hills or even windmilling down the hills, which is really fun. There's different moments where breathing in different patterns can have a real huge benefit while you're running or walking or, or doing whatever. So yeah, it's, it's always fun to, to listen to these different techniques and, and to put them into action to actually try them. And well, what I what I really liked about this was that Jill's book was really just practical. Mm-hmm. Breath breath is a part of movement. Breath is mm-hmm. a part of relaxation. Breath is a part of Huge. sleep. It's a part of everything. So the better you breathe, the mm-hmm. better you're going to do in all of those things. Mm-hmm. And when you get that all kind of balanced out and you're breathing right, mm-hmm. you know, the way your body was designed to breathe using your diaphragm and using it correctly, um, then your body has what it needs as part of that whole, oh, okay, I've got plenty of oxygen. I've got rid of enough of the carbon dioxide. My body doesn't have to feel like it's about to die. I can just relax <laughs> a little bit more. And and again, mm-hmm. that's one of the keys. One of the keys for people who are really good at running is that they get adequate oxygen in and carbon mm-hmm. carbon dioxide they get a right balance and they keep mm-hmm. that right balance at what is basically a very low level of exertion for them but they're moving really really quick mm-hmm. so there's just this ability but then the other side of it is well they are going to put up with a whole lot of pain um for for that duration of that run and mm-hmm. but the breathing is the big piece oh, you know huge because yeah. most of these runners um you know their their resting heart rate is in the 40s mm-hmm. and when they're really pushing themselves you know they might get their heart rate up to 150 yeah and you know whereas you know an average person i get 150 just <laughs> jogging <laughs> down the street you know um, but it's you know it's just it's one of those things where breath is is really a part of movement and it's part of all of it mm-hmm. and so it's it's just a it's just some good exercises in here for you to go through and understand how to breathe better mm-hmm. and that's going to make everything else better. Oh, absolutely. And and you just mentioned relaxation and in every aspect of life, you know, when you've had a really tough day at work or you're frustrated with the kids or, you know, something is stressing you out, um, really taking that time to practice some relaxation technique type of breathing, it, it sends your body into such a relaxed state so that your mind can actually think better and then you can problem solve a little better and not be so anxious about what's going on, but actually have the the wherewithal to deal with it properly. And, and I think few people just take, you know, you, you hear it all the time, just take a second, calm down. But if you actually did it, (laughs) well, don't ever tell your wife to calm down. I'm just saying, (laughs) but but yeah, but when you actually do take a second, take a deep breath, then it actually does put you in such a relaxed state that you can deal with troubles so much better. And I think that's missed on a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Great interview. Thank you. Well, you'll yeah. talk next week then. You betcha. Thanks. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Juliet and Kelly Starrett and discuss their book, Built to Move, the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. Until then, have a happy and healthy week. <laughs>